the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. And my guest in this podcast is Bert Labonte. He is one of the leading characters in the production of A Raisin in the Sun, which is on at Sydney Theatre Company at the moment. Written by Lorraine Hansbury in 1959, it was a watershed moment, breaking the colour barriers on the stages there with the first black woman writer being featured and first black director with Sydney Poitier as one of the main characters and probably Bert's character I'm imagining but we'll get to that. Bert most recently I think I saw him in a North by Northwest production but he's also been in productions at Sydney Theatre Company including All My Sons, The Grenade, Spelling Bee, uh, productions at Melbourne Theatre Company include The Truth, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Lungs, so many others, things, uh, Cloud Street for Malthouse. He won a Helpman Award winning for Supporting Actor in An Officer and a Gentleman. He's been in the Book of Mormon, in Chess, Pippin, so, so many more. I can't name them all. We'll be here all day. He's been on our stages, on our screens, and on our TVs as well. Please welcome Bert Labonte. Hi, Regina. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. Look, before we get to this production, and it'll be interesting to find out why this is the first time it's finally on our main stages in Australia. But tell me what life was like growing up for you. Were you in a creative house? Like, where are you from as well? I know your parents are from Mauritius. So what was that kind of beginning life? Was it creative and, you know, what was it like? I would say, look, I would say no, it wasn't creative uh, per se. It became creative. I grew up uh, in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, uh, in Dandenong, which is a very multicultural part of uh, Melbourne. You know, I went to a high school with 36 nationalities, so it was uh, I only knew multiculturalism when wow. I was growing up. So I, I didn't know it uh, to be um, uh, anything but that. I grew up playing a lot of sport. I was a pretty keen uh, footballer and basketballer, and I, I had – my sort of and tennis player and I had my heart my sights kind of set on on playing football as a career AFL football as a career from a young age but I also just enjoyed doing drama and doing um uh the school musicals and school plays and in grade I think it was in grade five I was nine years old ten years old and I first did a tiny little role in a, in a primary school concert I played Fagan from Oliver and um and I remember one of the teachers saying to my dad He's very good, and whatever that means as a ten-year-old, you know. <laughs> but um, but I, I remember feeling the nervous energy and like the adrenaline pumping through my my blood as I was about to do it, and but never ever thinking it was it was a, a career. Mm. It wasn't until I was about middle of high school, and uh, I was heavily training for footy at the time, and and but I was also doing a school musical, um, and then a, I was in a school drama competition for our houses, and. Terry Norris, who was in Cop Shop many, many, many years ago, um, wow. wonderful Australian actor, he came, he was the, the Minister of Par- uh, Parliament for Dandenong at the time, and his mm. secretary was one of my best friend's mothers. So she that, she brought him along to this school drama competition, 
and he saw me in the play and I won an award for that particular performance and he approached me afterwards and I knew his face because I'd seen Cop Shop as a kid and I, I knew his face and he said, have you ever thought about doing this as a career? And I was like, no. Mm. Like growing up in that part of Melbourne, there were no other, there were no parents who were actors. There was no, it wasn't in our circle. It wasn't in our realm. So we weren't at any of the schools where, you know, people's parents were actors or in the industry. Mm. And and he spoke to my careers advisor and we all sat down and, and we had a look at it. And footy looked like it wasn't going to go my way um, as far as uh, being drafted or, or being picked up. Mm. So I started looking into this side of things. And I remember telling my parents this is what I was going to, I was going to look at doing. And my dad sat me down and he, <laughs> he then proceeded to pull out I don't know, 20 or 30 programs from the Port Louis Theatre Company, which is in Mauritius, which was a theatre company that he worked for for years and was an actor wow. in. He also pulled out all these programs. He was a uh, he was on radio and he managed rock bands ah. in Mauritius. My mum, turns out, was a television producer and was one of the first camera women in the Southern Hemisphere for wow. the NBC, which is Mauritian Broadcasting Corporation. None of this was known to me until I was 15 years of age. So I had no clue. I had no – so there was something, obviously, genetically, there was something in there, but it wasn't discussed. It wasn't spoken about. It was – my sisters certainly weren't performing. I was the only one doing it. Um, so all of this came out afterwards, and, and they've done nothing but uh, support my career the whole time. They were like, <laughs> well, if you're this what you want to do, just understand it's a difficult kind of uh, yeah. industry, but, you know, if you want to go for it, go for it and – so I did, and and twenty eight years later, here I am. Twenty eight years after graduating, we should say. So that's thirty years later. Here I am, uh, you know, in the industry, and yeah, I, I guess it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, okay, and and I never ever, I think because my parents had had always been so supportive and never ever questioned what I was going to do, and just went go for it. Mm. We'll back you the whole way. I never felt pressured to will succeed, you know, whatever mm. success is. But when I mean succeed, I never felt the pressure of you need to get a job soon or you're going to have to look at a different career or do do something else. Those words were never uttered to me once. I have many, many friends who's, who, who were told this when they were coming through, but this was ne- it never happened to me. So I never felt under pressure to, to succeed. So I always just thought in the back of my head, <laughs> Once I got my degree from the University of Ballarat in acting, I thought, "Well, I've got a degree now. Now I'm, I'm an actor. I'm gonna, um, I'm just gonna act." And I always just thought, "It'll be okay. It'll." Yeah. Literally, my words to myself and to my now wife, who we've been with for a long, long time, was, "It'll all be okay. It's gonna work <laughs> itself out. It'll be all right." And and um, I don't know whether that's blind faith or just complete naivety of a, <laughs> a young man. It it, it um it did. It worked. Yeah. It's, it's it's. I've had a wonderful, wonderful career that I really wouldn't change for anything, and and it's all worked itself out. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I guess that that could be part of it because I never really felt pressure mm. to make it work, and just I just thought it always would. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like I was going. I am so damn good that this is just going to happen. I just thought. <laughs> I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be an actor, and that's all there is to it. I'll just, I'll just, I'll be an actor, and it'll be fine. And and it, you know, thankfully has been. So I, I, yeah. um, I feel pretty, pretty lucky. Mm. It's it, oh god, so much there. Like I, I want to go on, but what? Oh no, there's a lot to unpack. I know, I know. I mean, first of all, 
you know, I, I am actually half Egyptian and I grew up in a very white suburb and nowhere, like one nationality apart from myself. 36 nationalities and that is just so, seems so unique for that kind of growing up. But I can't help but ask, what, what did your parents do then when they came here? Did they not? They obviously didn't do theatre at all. No, no, mm-hmm. didn't do theatre at all. They came to Australia to have a better life. Uh, to um, have children. They had they didn't have kids in Mauritius. They moved here. They got married. They moved here. They had the three of us uh, when they arrived in Australia. Mum and Dad got here in 67. Um, Dad worked for, when he first arrived, he worked for international trucks, building building trucks for the Vietnam War, just on the line, wow. in the factory on the line. Yeah. Uh, Mum arrived 12 months later and she got a job. Um, I think immediately she got a job at Telecom. Um, right. Uh, and then Dad got a job at the SEC, mm. the State Electricity Commission, and so they just worked as public servants. They worked in the public service for years and years and years. And their mum had kids, and then Dad stayed in at, at the SEC for years, and then Mum got a job for what was called uh, DBL or Falding, which was a, a pharmaceutical company. We're just working in the factory, you know, okay. typically that typical kind of um, uh, migrant mm. uh, culture. In a migrant sort of area, and you work, you just you get whatever job pays well and has mm. security and safety. And um, so she worked on the line at this this factory for years uh, in the pharmaceutical lab, and Dad worked for the SEC and mm. uh, in a desk job. And um, they had three children and made the best life that they could for us. And it was kind of all for us. It was all for us to have a better life to to, to grow up in a country like Australia. And uh, like I said, we were all born here. And um, that's what they did. Yeah. So did you, because you said, like the, like I said, the 36 nationalities, did you, and this play is a lot about race and identity, did you find race uh, affecting you growing up or was it, like you say, just natural to have the diversity? Yeah, yes, it still did. It, I mean, diversity was absolutely natural. But you got to understand, I grew, up, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and um, there were so many warring factions at the time mm. in the world. Mm. It was the breakdown of Yugoslavia. Mm. We had Croatians and Serbians at our school. Yeah, right. Uh, there was kind of minor wars going on within the school. Uh, we had um, Vietnam was the, the remnants of that was still going on. Cambodia was happening at the time. Uh, there was Korean War. There was war in African in yeah. Africa in the warring nations. And we had lots of African um, people from different African countries at our school. There was a lot of internal turbulence within our school because people were from different regions of the world that were all at war with each other. We had I had boys from my 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 age of 15, 16 flying back to Croatia to fight, to fight. in the war. Um, mm. you know, and some of them never came home. Mm. Um it, it was it was a pretty full on time, which I don't think I realized till maybe 10 years later at how full on it was. But we had, and this may offend some of your listeners, so I'm, I apologise if that's that's what happened, but we had a bit of a policy where there was a bunch of us that got together because it was getting pretty pretty heated at school and there were fights going on after school between people from different you know nationalities and whatnot. And we decided that we would, that you weren't allowed to be, <laughs> I can't believe we did this at the time, but you weren't allowed to be the nationality that you were. You, you belonged to one of four factions and at our really? school you belonged to, and please, again, you got to understand wow. the time, and this mm. was just we were kids, but you were a, a nip, a nigger, a wog, or a skip. 
and that was it. You fell under one of those umbrellas, and that way it just kept the peace because till after school you could whatever happened happened. But at school, that's what, that's where you were. Not that you had to hang out together. You just were one of those people. And um, I mean, my group of friends was completely eclectic. I had Aussie mates and friends from um, I had Egyptian friends. I had Filipino friends. I had South African friends. It was you know whatever was going, but but that's what you that's how we kind of segregated. So we didn't have the internal because there was genuine war going on on the other side of the world between their families, you know. So uh, it was. So where were you in there? Which one? I belonged to the. To the to the N word. Okay. I was part of the N word. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was just what we what we did, and and uh, I think back to that now, and 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 it was kind of innovative, but it you know we, you wouldn't do that these days at all. You'd you'd just be you'd so the world's a very different place as well. It's thirty years later, um, mm. and you'd hope things have changed. But um, mm. it, yes, racism. We dealt with racism. A lot, not really at school ever. Just it was kind of, you know, we talk a lot about casual racism in Australia. Uh, we still kind of deal with it today. I mean, I'm married to an eighth generation Australian woman who, you know, had her both sides of her family are first and second fleet. So mm-hmm. my my kids are biracial, and um, Thankfully, they haven't had to deal with it much at all because they lean. Well, my my eldest is darker, my youngest is fairer, um, but but the world's changed a lot, so they get away with, you know, <laughs> yeah. just being part of the youth of today who are all inclusive, so they don't really care where you come from. Yeah, I I I, I went to Ballarat to go to university, so I went from a thirty six nationality school to a very white sort of society, and had the most incredible three years of of my life studying. That's uh, where I met my wife um, at university. We, I, I can say, I think I can count racial incidents in Ballarat on you know two fingers, and one of those was on the footy field. Like, yeah. and I didn't really include that because it was just shit that happened on the footy ground happened on the footy ground Stay in the nineties. It was just you, you dealt with it. You understood it as well. I'm not saying it was right, but it was just what happened then, and it was wasn't a thing. The guy shook my hand after the game, so it was it wasn't even a a big deal uh, uh, at the time. Um, it was an incredible time, Bella. Right? Like it was a beautiful place to go to university. I never dealt with any of that stuff there either. And I, I, I thought I'd, I'd imagined that and, and dreamt that up in my head and made that a bit of a fantasy as to how good those years were. But I went back only a few months ago with my youngest, who's 14, to a basketball tournament. He was playing rep basketball and we stayed for four nights and we took him to restaurants we'd gone to and places. And, no, that that was Ballarat. They are just a beautiful bunch of people. <laughs> just walking down the street. No one double takes. No one looks at you again. No mm. one checks you out. No one's wondering why you're here. You'll sit in a restaurant and locals will just chat to you for no reason at all just because they want to be friendly. We didn't imagine it. It was actually re- the reality of the place when I was growing up there and, you know, growing up as a young adult there and it was fantastic. So it was really nice to see that again and actually sort of think, oh, no, this is what the place was like. I... I I didn't dream it or or romanticize it in my head. It was it was really like that. So yeah. that was nice to go back and, and yeah. realize that. Absolutely. So let's talk about the play and talking about, you know, the schoolyard and those like 
times have changed, you hope, to this production, which is written in 1959, first you know, female black writer on stage and the the themes that are coming up in this production and also the fact that it hasn't been on a main stage in Australia. And what does that say about, you know, why hasn't it been? Is it, I know there was one like RSL or something, probably with a white cast is something I read that Wesley Enoch said, but what has the time have the times changed is this pivotal for uh, something about us as like you know to try and draw a long line between those two changing times simply we didn't have um the resources or or the um cast available to do a play like this uh in australia Mm. um before we, we um, without having to import actors, yeah, without having to, to, to bring people from another country or bring a whole production across, um, we have imported one actor for this particular production, and that's the role of Mama, which is Gail Samuels. Uh, and and when Zara and I sort of pitched this play to the SEC, and, and, and we knew we were going to, we've, we've been on this play for a long time, wanting to do oh. this piece for a long time, okay. wanting to do some seminal pieces from, from, um, you know, you know African American and African literature that sit in, in this incredible canon of writing. You know, the, the plays like Lorraine Hansberry and August Wilson and playwrights like that that can't they haven't been done in Australia because we haven't had the casts really. Um, now, the car this cast is extraordinary. Like there is an exceptional bunch of actors. Um, the reason we we still we still don't have. Uh, a character like Mama in Australia because we're only in the, the, the first sort of or the first and second section of, of actors coming through. So in 20 years' time, there'll be a bunch of actors, actresses who are of the age to play those, you know, gravitas older roles uh, without having to bring someone over. But we, but we knew that it was important that that particular role holds so much power and gravitas in the piece that we couldn't just age someone up and make them an older person. They had to understand what that was. And at the same token, Gail's also been like a cultural consultant for us from, from the United States is what it was like in that period of American, uh, you know, America when a white man arrives at your door, knocks on your door in Southside Chicago and, um, what that means and what that meant. I mean, her, she brought, she brought the original playbill that her dad had gone to see the play in 1961 with Sidney Poitier on the front uh, with her when she came over. And, and um, uh, so really it was, it was effectively the reason it hasn't been done before because we haven't had the, the casting. We just haven't been able to cast a play like this um, correctly. Uh, and, and now we can and kind of easily as well. Um, and it's not just like we've got one or two token kids going through the schools anymore. We've got tons and tons of people of all different backgrounds uh, from all various diaspora of, of, of um, black cultures around the world coming through our schools, our acting schools, and, and, and they're also seeing themselves represented on stage yeah. and on screen more, and they are now believing that this is a possibility of a life. Not uh, you know to be an actor, not just some sort of pipe dream mm. like I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
just just saying it's going to be fine uh and, and that's the key that's the key is that it's no longer tokenism it's now you know it was about five or six years ago i remember saying in a in a discussion about um diversity in, in our industry and i said we've got to stop just talking about it and we've just got to start doing it and what mm. our screens and our stages have to look like are our supermarkets when you go everyone goes to the supermarket everyone in this country goes to the supermarket when you look around the supermarket or when you sit at a cafe and you look around you that that and you see all these different cultures and nationalities sitting around you just mm. sitting there having breakfast or doing their groceries that's what our country looks like now mm. that's what it needs to look like on stage mm. And that's what it needs to look like within our school systems for, for uh, acting schools, and and we're getting there. We're we're, mm. we're we're getting there. Some signs of change are happening. So let's talk about this production then, and this like tell me the story. And I know it's about money being left, and what I get the sense of, and I haven't had a chance, but I am coming to see it. Money kind of equals value what you value right it seems yeah it's look there's a lot of themes in this i guess that the main themes of this play are it's a family drama look mm. all out and out it's a family drama it's a it's a a family living in the south side of chicago um uh they're not a wealthy family but i wouldn't say they're they're a poor family either they're not a they're not a um they don't live below the poverty line they have four adults within the home or three adults within the home that are all working uh, surviving, they live in a one-bedroom apartment, and there's five, there's four adults and a child, so it's tight. Yeah. Um, but it's not not uncommon for the time. Uh, mm. They all hold down, you know, good jobs that that pay enough to just pay the rent and live a pretty menial life. Uh, the matriarch of the family has died pr- um, the, the year pr- prior, mm. and it takes it takes a year for the insurance money to come through. And ten thousand dollars is coming through in nineteen fifty five. Ten thousand dollars is a lot of money, mm. and everyone in the family has a different idea of what the possibilities are with this particular amount of money. And of course, they're all differing. And of course, it's so that's where the family drama comes in because, like anyone, you know, these things are supposed to to aid and assist your life and make things better. But Not often, yeah. it causes more tension and more drama because. Everyone's got different ideas and different reasons for what they want to do with this money, uh, you know. And in the in the end, it's it's mama's money. It's her what she decides goes because it's her. The check is for her. Mm. It was her husband that died, and so from there the the drama unfolds. And um, I guess what what comes out of it too for the time, particularly the period of time, is mm. um, uh, you, you know how held back as a race. Uh, the african-american people were in that period of time you can dream of what you want to do but the realities are that even with money you're still black and you still can't you're still not invited to that part of the table yet if you want to do certain things um and it's it's walter's struggle which is my character um uh of trying to be trying to leave a life and a legacy behind for his own son mm. that is something that he can be proud of and his dreams of of having a life like white people like you know just being able to have a nice home with a car and you know a gardener doing his garden and 
and going to work in an office and coming home and sending his son to a university that he wants to go to. Mm. You know, dreaming about what the people he sees down the street have. Yeah. He wants to have that for himself. Um, it's his sister's dream. She wants to become a doctor. It's his mother's dream of just owning a home and having a, a life and having a garden. Simple things like just having a garden that she can mm. tend to her flowers. Um, so it's it's about all of their dreams and, and disassociations with, with how difficult it is living in this part of the world at this time in America. Mm. And um, uh, But essentially, it is just it is a family drama. Mm. Uh, and what's brilliant about the play is that she doesn't pull any punches. It's It's not just a racial drama about whites versus blacks. It's a racial drama about blacks and their own and their own yeah you know the same race and their own differences within the race and their own differences of opinion and mm. you know it, it's not that you don't all just agree because you're you, you're all the same uh race you don't mm. agree on everything like like everyone mm. in the world so it's it's a it, it's one of the finest pieces of writing you'll you'll ever listen to or read mm. it go you know it, it's been it said the new york times called it the best play ever written and yeah. uh i i can't really argue with that. I mean, there's been thousands of incredible plays written, but it is definitely up there. And considering how old she was when she started writing, she started writing when she was 26 and she finished writing when she was 28. And the fact Mm. that she's covered these generationally, all the characters Mm. with such integrity and intensity and detail. I mean, you know, these people, as soon as they start talking, Mm. whether you grew up in 1955 Southside Chicago or not, when you sit down in the audience, you know, all of these characters because Mm. they're reflective in Mm. people in your own life. They just, they just happen to be a black family in the Southside of Chicago. Yeah. That's what's brilliant about the play. Okay. So could you do the play? I mean, I'm assuming then it's set in that time in those accents. Yes. Yeah. So you couldn't really, Go. Let's do a contemporary version in Australia. It doesn't really. You'd have to rewrite the play and write write yeah. a play that's, and just mm. use maybe you can be, you'd maybe use the themes, but you couldn't do this play. No, it's it's written in a, it's written in a rhythm. It's written in a particular style of language. It's oh, it's okay. written in that in that way, and it's also written because of the time. So yeah. um, it sounds especially just what you described about it being the first time here and the first time, and we should see on our stages the people that are in our supermarkets and in our, like, this sort of diversity, it sounds like it's still talking to us now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, I, I say fortunately and unfortunately it's still very relevant. Mm. <laughs> um, fortunately because we we can see, um, uh, you know, so many things that are, that we haven't seen before on Australian stages and so many, you know, we've never seen a play with, with an all-black cast like this before because we've, it's never been done before. It's the first time it's been done. But unfortunately, the things that resonate through the play are still relevant for probably the wrong reasons. But but it's also important that we understand that too, you know, as a society, that, mm. that we have come a long, long way, but we've still got a long, long way long to go. go. You know? Yeah. With with many things, and not just just not just about black people. Mm. I mean about mm-hmm. culture in general. So your role, I mean, you know, the best characters are the ones that change or kind of, I don't know, transform during. And what is your kind of his? Because it sounds like you described him as someone that wants a white person's reality 
is that sort of the key part of it? Is it his accepting or is there something else? That's sort of that's a simplified version. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, he, you know, a big theme of the time in the 50s in, in, uh, in America was assimilation and how um, if you wanted to get, get somewhere as a young black person, you had to assimilate into society, which was mm. to give up your your own culture to an extent and, and divide yourself into the um, yeah. uh, the culture that was America at the time, which is the white culture. Mm. Uh, and, you know, music with the music and, and, and arts and um, uh, food and, you know, university, all that sort of stuff. Um, Walter feels like he never got the opportunity to do any of that when he was a younger man. And then he got married and he had a child and now he wants to, assimilate into the business life of things and he wants to, he wants to be in an office um you know uh, d- down at the um the the north end of town and he wants to drive a nice car he wants to have a garden doing his garden when he comes home and he wants to send his son to university and he wants to be part of a country club do all that sort of stuff that you know uh isn't afforded to them as african americans prior to this time so um, but the journey is that's a simplistic view, like like a, a revision of what the, the play is about it's, it's more about um, his struggle or my journey struggle uh, uh, my character struggle with with what life has afforded him and what he can get out of the rest of the, his life that is to come um, and the reasons for this and the reasons that that things have been afforded this way and how often it's just easy to say, you know what, let's not push too hard because we don't want to cause trouble. So let's mm. just do what we've been given, which is our lot, which is to just live simpler lives and just be quiet and stay out of the way and not cause a ruckus. I, I was thinking about this before I spoke with you today and I was wondering, you know, thinking, is this the role that Sydney... Portier played? Yes. Yeah, okay, I thought it would be. Sydney Portier played it on Broadway and then um, he left after 12 months and then another actor took it over. But then they made the, they got the rights to make the film and he re-did the oh, role in the film. Okay. Um, played the role in the film as well. Um, mm. a, a lot of the original cast from the Broadway production are in the film. There's only mm. a couple, that I think, that, that are different. Um, and unfortunately, Lorraine died. I want to say maybe six years after the film was made, or five years, and so she never really got to to bask in the glory of her of her mm. play much, or write anything else of significance because she was so sick with cancer um, leading up to that period. Mm. I was wondering, just you know, with that knowledge and with the roles that you play, and is like I can't help but think that you change, of course, or there's something you learn as you play a role, but also a role that has history. Is there something that comes with the role? Like if you play Hamlet or if you play these sort of really, these characters that have this history behind them, well, I guess maybe, let me ask a simple question. What have you kind of, has it changed you as a person doing a role like this? I've covered this role for a long, long time. Um, you know, from being a younger actor, knowing that I was too young to play it at the time. Uh, and, and wanted to play. There are so many of these wonderful plays that I've wanted to do, but have kind of kind of resigned myself to the fact that I may never get a chance to do them because 
we were, we weren't ever going to be able to put them on in Australia for various reasons. That's changed now, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a role that holds a lot of weight. Um, it, I know this character inside out. I know this this man, and I've I've seen this man in many other men in my life growing up. Uh, even just even in Australia, watching the struggles of a black man in a white society try and work out their way and how they can be um, great mm. in a society which mm. sometimes doesn't allow them to be. Um, so I know him inside out. So it's been a really, it's been a pretty emotional journey for me playing this character. Um, it's a it's a big journey every night. Like it's you've got to you've got to get in there, and there's no there's no show where you can just wander out and go. Oh, we'll just give it an eighty percent tonight. It's it's kind of all in because you're you're quite exposed as an actor out there. So um, it's been a wonderful challenge as well to to be able to do that. Uh, uh, and I, I'm pretty I'm pretty grateful that you know we've got an opportunity to to share it with audiences and. The response has been overwhelmingly wonderful. So we're, um, yeah, it's it's been a, a wonderful privilege to be able to do it, and I feel pretty pretty lucky to that we're here, that we're here talking about it as well. So it's great. But yes, to answer your question, it is. It's been it's been very affecting on me throughout the whole the whole period. Yeah. Very much so. Well, on that note, Bert, I'll let you go and prepare yourself physically and emotionally and mentally for the role. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Regina. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. And A Raisin in the Sun is playing until the 15th of October. Still some time to get along and see it at Wharf One Theatre.